Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Travelers Institute Risk and Resilience podcast, where we explore issues at the intersection of business, insurance, and public policy. I'm Joan Woodward, president of the Travelers Institute, and I'm really thrilled to be with you. Today, I'm also so pleased to share with you an amazing conversation I had on a recent Wednesdays with Woodward webinar with our CEO and chairman, Alan Schnitzer. I've known and worked with Alan for over 15 years since he recruited me from Goldman Sachs to come work at Travelers. My meetings with Alan back then provided a first glimpse at one of the things that makes him an exceptional leader, his vision. And for the last 15 years, I've seen that vision and leadership propel Travelers forward and through some extraordinary and extraordinarily trying times. So on our recent webinar, our 100th Wednesdays with Woodward episode, I sat down with Alan for a discussion about leadership during times of uncertainty and rapid change. I wanted to ask him how he did it. Take a listen to what we learned. A little more than three years ago, the Travelers Institute began this series from our kitchen tables and makeshift home offices. We were determined to keep connected with you and bring you in-depth conversations addressing most pressing challenges during the extraordinary time of the pandemic. Since then, we've hosted more than 170 guests from top government officials to C-suite business leaders. Our programs have been viewed almost 400,000 times in three years, so thank you. We've explored topics from cybersecurity, geopolitical risk, artificial intelligence, distracted driving, and more. We're thrilled to celebrate our 100th episode with a very special guest today, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Alan Schnitzer. Alan has led travelers and our 30,000 employees since becoming CEO in 2015 and Chairman in 2016. He serves on the Board of Trustees of the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Board of Trustees of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and the Board of Directors of the New York City Ballet. He graduated from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and earned his JD from Columbia Law School. Today, we're gonna to talk to Alan about leadership and leading through challenging times. I've had the great honor of working with him now for 15 years, and I believe that one of the things that makes him an exceptional leader is his vision. It was Alan's vision that created the Travelers Institute, a way for the company to participate in the public policy dialogue. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. His vision and leadership have touched all parts of travelers. Alan has been the driving force behind the innovative mindset that propels travelers forward. He's fostered a culture of invention and experimentation that really sets us apart. Two years ago, in the midst of mounting political polarization, Alan created and has since championed our civic engagement initiative, Citizen Travelers which encourages our employees to deepen their understanding and commitment to public service. And speaking of public service, when the President of the United States convened the nation's top business leaders at a White House cybersecurity summit, Joe Biden turned to Allen to represent the insurance industry. So from running the business to taking care of each other, he's personally dedicated to the well-being of our employees. In particular, he has been an outspoken advocate for mental health awareness. And during the challenges of the pandemic, Alan really led from the heart. His tremendous compassion and authenticity 
created a connection with our employees that has endured even as we've settled into the new normal. So Alan, thank you so much for being here as our special guest on our 100th episode. We're really grateful for your time. Thank you, Joan. It's great to be here with you. Congratulations on the 100th episode and, and all you've done to contribute to really important conversations about public policy. All right, let's get right into it. So you took the helm at Travelers in December 15, almost eight years in. How does it feel? I'd say in a word, I feel fortunate, which is probably the same word I would have used on, on day one. There are good days and there are tough days, but uh, every day I love this job. I imagine. <laughs> so before we get into the business issues, let's spend a moment in the past. I just went over your bio for everyone, but what in your mind uh, were some of the most formative experiences? What prepared you for the role that you're in today? So many over a career, it's, it's hard to identify a few, but maybe a couple obvious ones. My parents, of course, and, and they should probably be the subject of your 200th episode because... <laughs> They certainly deserve that, but but they encouraged me. They set high standards. They they taught me values. I'm very grateful to my parents for that. Before I was a Travelers, I spent 16 years at a wonderful law firm. I had a corporate law practice. I, I loved my job. I, great clients, great place, great partners. And that was a really, I would say, key experience for me. I, you know, Learning what a real standard of excellence is, learning how to solve problems. I, I thought I would finish my career there, and I think I would have mm-hmm. done that happily. We're lucky you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I guess finally working for Jay Fishman. And I, my guess is many of the people who are tuned in here knew Jay and, and understand why I would say that. But, you know, he, he was an extraordinary model of, of great leadership and just an extraordinary person on so many dimensions. And I'm very fortunate. Speaking of fortunate, fortunate, I had the opportunity to learn this from him. I agree. Wonderful man. Okay, so let's go back. The pandemic hits. You sent folks home. We'll talk about employees in a minute. I want to talk about how this series began for a moment. So in June of 2020, our biggest agent conference, it's called TLC, went virtual. After that, you had asked me to keep this conversation going with our agent broker partners in the broader community. So why do you believe it is important for companies to be thought leaders on societal challenges? Why is that important? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I do think that's important, at least not, not rich, writ large on, on societal issues generally. I, I think you and I agree um, on the mission of the Travelers Institute, which you've executed so spectacularly, but, but that, that is about weighing in on issues that address our stakeholders, our, our industry, our customers, the communities that we serve. And I think given, given our industry leadership, given our expertise, I think we've got the opportunity and a responsibility to weigh in on those things. But where it comes to societal issues that aren't directly related to our business, aren't directly related to our stakeholders, I don't feel an obligation. And I think probably more often than not, it's a mistake to weigh in there. Okay. Thank you for that. So uh, our webinar series obviously was set up to talk about challenges and opportunities for business leaders. And there's a lot of them out there today in the, in the world. Is that our backdrop? What are the biggest challenges facing business leaders today? Also a big topic and, and maybe appropriate for an episode on its own because there are so many challenges to running a business these days. I was, I was saying to somebody not that long ago that I, I can remember a time not all that long ago where it felt like you could go days or weeks or months and you could just focus on what you needed to do. Today, it often feels like in one dimension or another, we're fighting our supply lines. And, and my guess is it's different for every company, but the macroeconomic environment these days is a challenge. Inflation is a problem for many businesses, not so much for insurance, but it's a, a problem for many businesses. I've been very outspoken, as you know, about polarization. I think the polarization just among citizens and among our politicians, I think, is a, a huge problem that impedes a lot of progress we need to make. Regulatory challenges, particularly in this industry, we see the problem with 
the, the availability of insurance in some states like California and Florida. And I think there were real regulatory challenges uh, to that. But I don't know, maybe the one challenge that all of us face is the pace of change and the need to focus on what we need to do to prepare businesses for the future. And, you know, we often think of it in terms of technology, things like artificial intelligence, and I think that's appropriate, but, but businesses really need to think down, down the road. We need to think about what, what bets we need to place today that are going to pay off down the road, because some of these things take years. And, and there's a, a, I think it was Steve Jobs, quite a quote that I'm very fond of. He, he said, innovation is saying no to a thousand good ideas. And so it's about, it's about avoiding the thousand good ideas that don't really matter and focusing on the few that do matter. And it, Travelers, as you know, we talk about that in terms of velocity, which you go back to high school physics, that's speed and direction. So identifying the couple of things that are going to move the needle and investing and going fast and hard on those things. Yeah. Well, we certainly feel it as employees. You've created that innovative mindset for us. So, so thank you. I think it's uh, served us very well. well. Thank you. All right. Let's pivot and talk about the pandemic, the pandemic pivot, right? So March 2020s, Travelers sent all, all of our employees home, as did most companies around the world. What went through your mind on that day when you sent 30,000 people home? I remember that. I remember that day very clearly. It's very, very vivid in my mind. And I remember as, as we made the decision, I, I deliberately found a few minutes to just sit down and reflect on that. And I remember thinking about the magnitude of that moment. I mean, that was a big deal that we were going to send 30,000 people home honestly not sure what was going to happen the next day or the day after that or a week or a month after that. And I remember thinking about just the magnitude of that moment in the context of of history. Um, But very quickly, you just have to get practical and you just have to think about what the priorities are. And so uh, you get a senior team together and you say, okay, this is what we need to do. And and you go about doing it. You got to keep people safe. And so you got to, you got to, you know, made the decision to send people home, but there were certain people that we needed in roles. We needed people to staff certain functions. And so you got to make sure you keep those people safe. And then you think about implementing business continuity plans. And, and uh, of course we had continuity plans. We took them off the shelf and looked at them and, and to their credit, they contemplated having to go remote, but never for the whole company, right? You think about an office having to go remote, or you think about a region and, and, and probably what you're thinking about is some natural disaster, maybe a cyber attack, where you have to take something offline and compensate for that. And so you have to scale that up. You know, do you have the hardware? Do you have the technology? Do you have the bandwidth? Uh, so those were sort of the early, early moment things you do. And you, know, you got to train managers to manage in a, in a remote environment. You got to take processes that rely on being together and convert them to being remote. And so I would say after, after that early moment or two of reflection, it was just practically, what do we need to get done? So there's no CEO playbook for a pandemic, right? Just checking. There's nothing you pull off the shelf. There is now. (laughs) There is now. Okay, there is now. So let's talk about leadership and communication, because during the early days of the pandemic, uh, everything was so uncertain. We we literally had no idea what was going to happen globally. But we heard from you. You regularly wrote employees. How did you come to that decision early on of what to say, of when to write, how to say it for me kind of, it felt like you were holding my hand, getting me through the pandemic. Thank you. You know, I I think of travelers, big company, 30,000 people, but I I think about it as a tight knit community, a family feel to it. We talk about the travelers family a lot and all of a sudden we were scattered to the winds. And, you know, one of the things I've always loved about this job is, is walking around, whether it's the office in New York or a field office somewhere and talking to people and having conversations. And, and I miss that. That was, that was, 
unsettling to say the least to be scattered to the winds. And so I think it was literally that first week I sat down at a computer and just sent an email and, and those emails I would, I would send every Friday. And I think I did that for five or six months and they were, you'll remember they were pretty substantive, yeah, they um, were. pretty substantive emails. And a lot of it stream of consciousness was that, you know what, the things that were on my mind and my goal obviously was to keep everybody feeling connected and supported. And I, I actually remember the last line of the first email I sent. I, I think that last line was, we're going to get through this the way we get through everything together. And, and I think that as much as anything illustrates what I intended to do with, with those emails. No, they were really, really welcome for our employees. I really felt like every Friday I was waiting for that to come out before I shut it all down. And it was, it was, uh, it was real. It was I, real. And it touched people. Yeah, I, I will say that every week I, I had hundreds of replies and I replied to every one of those. And through that, probably thousands of email conversations with people that I never would have met otherwise. And, and I've kept up relationships with many of those people. So it was, it was as in, it energizing and, and comforting to me as it was to anybody else. Great. Well, thank you again for those. Um, let's talk about leadership kind of more broadly in communication. How do you think about leadership and communication, you know, broadly? Because it's a, the job of a CEO. How do you think about that? I don't, I don't think you can overstate the importance of that, right? I mean, one of the key functions, maybe the most important function of a leader is to inspire people to, to get behind a vision. And there's, there's no substitute for effectively communicating that vision in a way that inspires people to get on board. So I just think, you know, you can't imagine much that's more important than effective communication from leadership. Great. You do it very well. Thank you. I want to pivot a bit and talk about talent and culture because, uh, you know, more than 50 million Americans quit their jobs in 2022, just last year, 50 million Americans. What do you make of the great resignation? Or I think you call it what, the great reshuffle, maybe? I've always called it the, the great reshuffle um, from, the, from the very beginning. You know, the world changed overnight. And, and that gave people, I think, an, an impetus and an opportunity to, to rethink priorities. And, and frankly, being remote made it easy to change jobs. You didn't have to sneak away to go interview you know, you, you didn't have to change your commute. You didn't have to go face-to-face -face and, yeah. and tell your boss you were leaving. You could do all, all that by email. Um, and so uh, it's, it's just not surprising to me that people left. Sometimes people left for more money. Sometimes people left because they were hoping to be more remote or some people wanted to be less remote. I call it the great reshuffle because the great resignation implies that everybody just left. And that's not true. Everybody just moved. And in fact, during that period of time, we hired more people than we lost. And so we were a net attractor of talent. That doesn't feel like a resignation moment to me. No. That feels like a reshuffle moment. And we had literally hundreds of people who left come back. Come back. And so, so what do we call those people? Uh, boomerangs. Boomerangs. And okay. so, uh, so the grass is not always greener. The grass is not always greener. Okay. And so to me, it just felt like a, a great reshuffling. And, and we are back at pre-pandemic attrition levels. So it feels like we've We've reached a new equilibrium. Some people wanted a different work model, maybe a different industry, but but it feels like we're in a new equilibrium. Okay, great. It's good to know. Okay, so as a business leader, what are the implications of the high turnover in talent? Because we, as you said, we had people leave. We had a lot of people come back, which we love. But what has the experience been like for travelers here because of this churn? You know, the, there's it's worth paying attention to because there's a high cost to it. It's, it's expensive and it's time consuming to recruit employees. There's a, a productivity loss when new employees come in and learn a new, a new company, new systems, new functions, even maybe it can be dilutive to a, a culture. So it's important to, to pay attention to it. In terms of our own experience, we did pretty well. We, um, our, our attrition level 
definitely was elevated during during the great reshuffle, but only only moderately elevated. And we were starting from a pretty good level. So it was never particularly problematic here. Okay, good to know. Okay, you mentioned culture. So uh, any travelers employee walking down any of these hallways here uh, will tell you about the importance of culture inside the place. We call it the place, which is great, right? Uh, Why is culture important? That's another one that that different companies, different leaders may have a different answer, but but I'll give you an answer for us. I think it's important for a couple of reasons. It's one of the things that makes this a great place to work. And it's one of the things that um, gives us a competitive advantage, I think, in attracting and engaging and retaining great people. And as you know, among our top 600 or so employees, the average tenure at Travelers is more than 20 years, not in the industry, but, but at Travelers, which is, is really significant, I think, for passing along culture and knowledge to, to the next generation. And, and when you have great people, you want to empower those people. And so culture gives them a roadmap. And in other words, you can give people more autonomy if there's a culture to guide them. And that may be more important in this business than many, where you, we've literally got thousands of people that make individual decisions to put risk on our books in terms of, of, of underwriting and thousands of, of claim professionals that make individual decisions in managing our liabilities, our claims. And so when, when you've got that many people making individual decisions that individually and collectively are so consequential, I think it's, it's very important for those people to know what's expected and for them to do it at a place that they appreciate so that they're doing it for, for the place as opposed to um, either, either without a lot of direction at all or for some other reason. So culture is very important here. So what do you look for for people you want to put on your team? So what are you looking for? What's, what ingredients, maybe? Well, if you're talking at very senior levels of the place, I would say in some cases, you just know it when you see it, and you can't boil that down to a formula. I won't embarrass you and tell the story here about how I was able to recruit and attract you, um, what, 15 years ago or 15 something years like ago. that? You were one of those sort of you know it when you see it categories. Maybe, Thank you. Maybe there are four non-negotiables when you're talking at senior level at a place like this. One you want expertise. You want people that are good at their job. And, and I don't think you get to this level unless you are really good at your job. Two, you need people that subscribe to our standard of excellence. We, we have a, a standard of excellence that's very high. And as you know, I set out to define what that meant a couple of years ago. But you need people that, that understand that and subscribe to it. You need people that understand this culture and sign, sign up to it. And maybe taking those two together, that standard of excellence and that culture, maybe that speaks to chemistry. Are those people going to fit in here and be part of our chemistry? And that doesn't mean everybody who doesn't doesn't meet our isn't going to align to our chemistry. They're not necessarily bad people. They may work in some other environment. But I think in terms of our chemistry, understanding that standard of excellence and understanding that culture is really important. And then finally, and this may be the hardest one to assess up front, is is judgment. When you get to senior levels at a company. I think the more senior you get, the more nuanced the job gets. And so you need people that really can deal with uncertainty, novel situations, and exercise great judgment. Well, thank you for that nice compliment. It was uh, it didn't Very take true. me long after you offered me the position. I knew I wanted to work for you. Yeah, there was a little bit of negotiating back <laughs> okay, and maybe forth. A little bit. <laughs> so let's talk about our new normal after the pandemic, pandemic pivot. I don't want to say we're done with the pandemic because who knows, right? But uh, at Travelers Now, we have policies that allow work from home for up to two days a week. How did you come up with Travelers hybrid and remote strategies? And really, how are they going? Well, I didn't do it by myself. We, 
we did it as a senior team. So there was a, a real, I think, collective input and buy into it. And I would say one of the important things is, is it reflected, it reflected values that we established at the very beginning. And so we've been um, very consistent about this from the get-go. But I, I think we learned a lot during the pandemic about what technology can do for us. Technology can enable people to, to live richer lives. And so, and by that, I mean, maybe somebody wants to be there to get home when their child's home from school, or maybe they're taking care of an elderly parent, or maybe they got to be there when the refrigerator repair person comes. But, but technology, there's no question about it. it. It lets us live fuller, richer lives. And I think we appreciated before the pandemic. It also gives us the ability to be more nimble. So Pre-pandemic, we might have spent weeks and bought a bunch of airplane tickets to get people together for a meeting, particularly if it involved people from other cities. That still happens today, but but as often as not, you can get together that afternoon over Zoom and, and have a pretty good experience. And so I think we've learned a lot. At the, at the same time, I think we've identified why it's important to be in the office. That's where we collaborate. That's where we mm -hmm. innovate. That's where we, we train people, particularly informal training, the stuff that happens at the water course, where we foster a culture. It's, I believe the office is where leaders lead. I think that's where careers are built. And so you balance those two things, what we've learned about what technology can do for us and the value of being in the office. And you say, okay, so how do you bring those together? And we came up with a hybrid model. I think for us, um, I think it's going very well. I don't think it's perfect. I, I, I don't think the old model was perfect either, right. by the way. Sure. But I, I, don't, I don't think we've, we've dialed it in perfectly yet, but I think it's pretty good. And I think we'll continue to, 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 to manage it and we'll see where it goes. I, I mm -hmm. think it'll evolve over time, but I think sure. it's working pretty well. Sure. What do you think? Great. Oh, I think it's great. It's fabulous. My team is so energized by it. I, I think a lot of teams around the place really are. Yeah, so I thank you. So. Okay, let's stay on culture, talent, Let's talk about, um, you've been such an advocate for employee wellness and overall holistic wellness, whether it's sleep, uh, mental health, um, all sorts of wellness programs you're rolling out uh, just now in our open enrollment period for employees. Why do you think that wellness, a wellness mindset is so critical to our work and our personal lives? Because you've been such a champion. I, I think we should frame that in the context of our mission and purpose, which, which I've also been very outspoken about. Our, our mission is to create shareholder value. There's no confusion about that, but that goes hand in hand with our purpose, which is taking care of the people we're privileged to serve. And we call that the traveler's promise. And that is taking care of our customers, our communities, and each other. And so when I think about taking care of each other, meaning our, our colleagues, and I would extend that to our agent broker partners, a commitment to wellness is really just a very natural extension of that. And, and I, I do, I'm very outspoken about mental wellness, but I also think about physical wellness and financial wellness. I think those are the three components, physical, financial, and mental. I also, it, it, it is that natural extension. So I think that's important, yeah. but there's such an obvious need, you know, speaking of, of mental wellness in particular, I think the statistic is one in five adults in the United States had a mental health condition in the last year. So 20%. And I, I would speculate that's a, an understatement, maybe a significant understatement. And so that means that you or somebody you love or somebody you work with is probably suffering. And I think we've got both the opportunity and the responsibility to help. And so I think focusing on those three dimensions of wellness um, could make all the difference. Well, I want to thank you for that. And I know a lot of employees really, really thank you, thank you for taking a lead and putting money towards it for, for, our, for our benefit. So thank really you. Really important. Thank you. Okay, we're going to shift. This may not be as easy as the last category, but uh, we're going to go to polarization and partisanship because 
You've talked a lot about how a polarized world uh, we've all become. How does polarization impact how you lead today? I've been very outspoken about polarization over the last, I don't know, year or so. And, and I think it's a big problem. There, there are lots of challenges we face as a country. Education policy, healthcare policy, immigration policy, wherever you stand on those issues, you could go on and on and say there's lots of issues. And I don't think gridlock serves us. And I don't, whether whether it's in in Washington or state capitals among our public policymakers or whether it's among ordinary citizens, I don't think gridlock um, serves us. And so as a leader, I, I try to be very outspoken about rejecting cancel culture. I think cancel culture um, and the inability to engage and share ideas is problematic. And the opposite of that is pluralism. I, I try to promote pluralism, this idea that competing ideas can coexist, that, that we can agree to disagree, but respect people's rights to, to have different points of view. And, and I think through that, you get together and hopefully uh, in the spirit of, of constructive engagement, you get together and you try to solve problems. And uh, David French, who's a columnist for the New York Times, happens to be a conservative columnist writing in, in not such a conservative newspaper, he wrote a book called Divided We Fall. And, and it's a, for anybody who wants to explore this topic, I, I recommend that. So not only do you um, kind of have these ideas and have these beliefs, you actually do something about it. So two years ago here at Travelers, in an effort really to drive that positive change through civic engagement, you chose to launch another initiative, which we now call Citizen Travelers. Why did you launch that? And talk to us about what it is. So Citizen Travelers is our initiative to encourage and support our employees getting involved in civic life in, in whatever ways are important to them. It could range from registering to vote to running for elected office and anything in between those two extremes. I like to say it's aggressively nonpartisan. I don't, you know, people should get out there and, and do what's important to them and engage in ways that they want to engage. But I think people, I think they, they need to engage. And it, and it ties to a few things we've discussed. One is communications. I, I, I get asked as CEO to weigh in on lots of things, some of, them, some of them pretty controversial. And I'm not shy about weighing in on topics, controversial or not, that are important to our business. But where there are topics that, that aren't directly related to our business, who am I to develop Traveler's View on that? We've got employees, we've got customers, we've got agent broker partners, uh, shareholders that span the whole political spectrum. So if it's not an issue that's front and center to our business, who am I to be expressing a corporate view? I may have my personal view, but I'm not sure Travelers needs to have a corporate view on those things. But that doesn't mean Travelers doesn't have a role to play. We've got 30,000 employees who, who should, as citizens, have a view and, and should get involved. And so uh, Citizen Travelers is, is meant to support them in doing that. You know, we've, we've, we've long been a good corporate citizen. This is about being a corporation of good citizens. Well, I want to thank you for creating that. As you know, I spent a lot of years in government, and uh, I think the employee reaction has just been overwhelming. Uh, been we have good. an employee group. If anyone's interested in joining that, um, Citizen Travelers on, on our website. So we also partner with Citizen Travelers at the Institute, and we're hosting a lot of the, the webinars focused on that content. So it's critically important that we uh, talk about those issues. You know, one of the things I'll share is um, we've taken our experience and created Citizen Travelers in a box. Because I would, I would love to promote this idea for other companies. And Wonderful. we're happy to share this program with other businesses. They can take it. They can white label it. They can rename it. And, and we will share with them the things that we've learned, the things that have worked, the things that haven't worked. 
and the the more people engaging, the better. So we're happy to share what we've learned. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So anybody can is interested in that, they could just email me at the institute, and we'll get them that content. So thank or, you. Or citizen travelers at travelers.com. Citizen travelers at travelers.com. Excellent. All right, let's move on to diversity and inclusion. Uh, you've called it a business imperative. Travelers has been a leader in this for many years with our first diversity networks over you know about twelve years ago now. Why is DNI a business imperative? I always answer that question by throwing around three data points. So for about a decade, white kids have been a minority in public schools. For many years longer than that, more women than men have earned associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's, and doctorates. And in about a single generation, in less than 30 years, white men are going to make up 25% or less of the working age population. So if you knew nothing else but those three data points, you'd say, I know what my employees are going to look like. I know what my customers are going to look like. And I know what my distribution partners are going to look like. And if we're not approaching diversity and inclusion by casting the broadest possible net, we're going to lose the war for talent and we can't afford to do that. So to me, diversity and inclusion is very simply about the business imperative of winning the war for talent. And I think, I think increasingly we're going to have to do that by casting the broadest possible net. Agree. Thank you for your leadership there as well. Thank you. Uh, okay. We're going to pivot again and we're going to talk about technology and innovation. So a couple months ago, we hosted a fascinating webinar on emerging AI trends and chat GPT. It attracted the most viewers of any of our programs over the three years. Well, except for this one, folks. Okay, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, this attracted the most. People are really trying to understand what these new technologies mean for their businesses and even society at large, really. So how are you thinking about AI and emerging technologies? I think this is another one where it might be different for every business, but I think it's hard to say that the opportunity that comes from technology and AI isn't going to be profound across the entire economy. And, and I think for business leaders, that means figuring out how to get it right. And I, and I don't think this is, a, this is an urgent crisis today or tomorrow, but I think in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, people need to figure out what bets are the right bets for, for their business, because I do think it's going to be profound. So, so for us, we've been focused on innovation for a while. And if I had to describe it um, you know, with a, a broad stroke, I would say it's about digitizing the value chain. And we've got three very discrete priorities. One is extending our lead in risk expertise. I, I think we've become a great company over decades in being really unparalleled in understanding risk and the products and services our customers need to manage their risk. Uh, we've got lots of great competitors that are also doing great work in those areas. So, so we need to extend that lead. We've got to provide great experiences to customers, agents, brokers, and employees. Every, every engagement we have with any one of our stakeholders, they're measuring against their last experience with Amazon or Spotify or mm -hmm. you know, on and on. So, so we've got to be focused on providing great experiences. And we've got to do more with less. We've got to optimize productivity and efficiency. And so those are our three priorities. And there's no question that, that AI will help us deliver on all three. Uh, the, the challenge really is in, in prioritizing, figuring out where where the most bang is for the buck. And, and then again, back to velocity, you know, going, going hard at those things. Okay, so staying on another aspect of technology, as we all know, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and you highlighted that critical role that the insurance industry now plays in strengthening, strengthening America's cybersecurity uh, at that White House uh, meeting with President Biden. So what is the role in your mind of insurance in cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is a growing risk, and I, and I think the surveys you've conducted through the Travers Institute has um, demonstrated it's one of the top concerns for our customers and businesses across the country. So I think we've got an obligation to help our, our customers and future customers manage that risk. 
And, and I think that's everything from providing insurance products to offering risk management, our expertise and, and tools that will help them manage their vulnerability. So, so I think that's where we come in as it relates to the customer. You mentioned that, that we were invited to the White House to um, have a conversation with the president and members of his cabinet about it. I do think we've got expertise. I think cybersecurity is a, a public policy issue. So I think we've got the responsibility to weigh in from a public policy perspective and, and try to improve cyber readiness across the, the country and across government. And then I, I also think whether we're talking about customers or public policy, insurance is a signal. It gives, it gives a signal about risk. And, and so the cost and availability of insurance sends that signal. So you think, of a, I don't know, a year or two ago, we decided that, that we weren't going to write cyber insurance for companies that didn't, um, that didn't use multi-factor authentication in their, in their cyber readiness. And, and so I think between what we did and, and what other companies independently on their own were doing, it sent a signal to people that, that cyber insurance was going to be important or unavailable if you didn't do that. And so sending that signal with insurance uh, through, through that example and others, I think, is also important when it comes to cyber insurance. Well, I also want to just point out that you were the only uh, national insurance carrier that was invited to that White House meeting with all the tech CEOs. So we've been working on this a long time, right, with our cyber awareness campaign, and um, we're just thrilled to be a part of that conversation at the White House. It's good to be a part of it. Okay, so let's, this is my favorite part when I interview CEOs, and you're my most favorite, favorite CEO, <laughs> by the way. Uh, what's, let's talk about your personal career, your personal journey, how you got here. What is the biggest risk you've taken in your career? I would say leaving my prior job to come to Travelers. As I you know, said, I, I practiced a corporate law at a firm that I loved. I was there for 16 years. I had great friends there. I had great clients. Uh, it was, I, I thought I would retire from there. Um, obviously left that job to come to Travelers and so far so good. So maybe with hindsight, it doesn't feel like it was such a big risk, but at the time it seemed like a pretty big yeah. risk. Yeah. And, and you've had similar experiences, right? You've, you've Similar. You've yeah. I left, jobs. I left government to go to Goldman Sachs and leaving Goldman Sachs to come to Travelers. Was, I'm sure that felt risky. I, I, I had a few thoughts about that, but let me tell you, Alan, I think it all worked out for us. <laughs> worked out for us, that's yeah. for sure. What leaders do you admire? Who inspires you? Uh, that's also a big question. And it would sort of, I could go back in time and think about the leaders in history that have inspired me, current leaders that inspire me. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a cop out here and just say, I don't have to look very far. I, you know, you think about leaders at Travelers and the senior leadership team that we have that I think do a spectacular job. There's a lot to admire about and other leaders that emerging leaders at, at Travelers that, that are inspiring. When I, um, when I, when I think about inspiring, I was going to say my kids, but I think about your kids too, because I know your kids, but you know, my kids are 26 and 21 and you watch the ne next generation making their way in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm probably the first one that you'll get off my lawn, but <laughs> uh, I think that's every generation does that. But uh, you know, it's not easy being that age and making your way in the world these days. Sure. And I, I watch them all and admire what they do and think about the talent, of the next generation. It's inspiring. I agree. I agree. So as our audience thinks about uh, kind of the day in the life of a CEO, what part of your day might kind of surprise them? Hmm. Every day is a little unpredictable. So, uh, and, and, and almost no two days are the same. I'm not sure that much would be surprising. Maybe, maybe the frequency with which I bring my lunch to work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very big leftovers person. Me so, too. So I, you I can't waste food. <laughs> well, your wife is also a, a very good cook. My wife's sure. a very good cook. 
Okay, we're going to go to some audience questions. We got a lot of them, as you can imagine, uh, from our audience. So first one we're going to go to is Ben Molnar. I always like to shout out who's, who's uh, given the question. What three pieces of advice would you give a young professional? I would say the first piece of advice I would give is, is read the newspaper every day. And it's okay with me if it's one article on the front page, but, but I would say read it every day. Extra credit if you read something from, if you read an op-ed. And, and maybe gold star if you read the other newspaper, meaning yeah. if, if your politics lean left, read, read a right-leaning newspaper. If your politics lean right, this is back to my fighting polarization, uh, read a left-leaning newspaper. So that, that would be uh, the first Second, I think public speaking is really important. And, and there are a lot of people that I think are intimidated by that. And I think the only really way to get comfortable at it is just miles on the odometer. So I would say as much experience as you can with public speaking. And I think public speaking courses are great, whether it's Toastmasters or Dale Carnegie or, or um, even private coaching for people that, that are that interested in it. And I guess the third, I, I'm, so I'm going to, um, Melody Hobson. Melody Hobson is the president and co, I think co-CEO of Aerial Investments and somebody I really admire. But I was listening to her talk to a group of young professionals once, and she gave a piece of advice I thought was spectacular, which is um, she said to them, make yourself indispensable. And I think that is just such a perfect piece of advice that if you think about incorporating that in the way you think about what your responsibilities are day in and day out, you know, putting aside whatever technical work you got to get done during the day. If you think, gee, I'm going to make myself indispensable. It just seems to me there's you know, nothing, nothing stopping you. I got that piece of advice. It's, it's, it worked for me in most cases, maybe not all, but um, okay. Another audience question. And thank you so much for your audience engagement. Um, this comes from Greg Magnus, one of our other agents out there. How do you balance making both your stockholders and your customers happy? That's a big, big question. Today. You know, I, I get that question a lot. There's, it comes in very different forms, but honestly, I don't see the conflict at all. There, there are lots of leaders out there that will rank, you know, various stakeholders. They'll say, gee, you got to take care of employees. And if you take care of employees, everything will fall into place or customer, 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 or the Milton Friedman's of the world that would say the only responsibility of a corporation is to focus on creating value for shareholders. I think that whole thing falls apart because either you take care of all your stakeholders extraordinarily well or you fail them all. I mean, you, you need a successful business in order to take care of your stakeholders. And if you don't take care of your stakeholders, you'll never have a successful business. So to me, all those things go hand in hand and uh, there's no alternative but to take care of all of them extraordinarily well. Which I think you absolutely have done in well, the past you. eight years. So Alan, I cannot thank you enough. Our, this time has just flown by. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been such an honor to have you on our 100th. Oh, my pleasure. Please promise me you'll come back for the 200th. It'll be my pleasure. Okay. Congratulations, Sean. Thank you. No, it's me. your vision and leadership that has really propelled travelers in these past few years. And I'm just grateful that um, I'm grateful to be here, be oh, a part of it. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing conversation with an incredible CEO. Thank you, Alan. And thank you for tuning in to our first ever podcast. We're really thrilled that you were with us today. Check out the show notes for more information about the Travelers Institute and to sign up for our mailing list. We send out updates on our upcoming podcast, webinars, in-person events, and more. I'd also love to hear what you thought about today's episode, what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. You can shoot me an email at institute at travelers.com 
or follow me on LinkedIn and send me a message there as well. Thanks again for tuning in.